You can turn in your Bibles or turn the pages of your Bible to John chapter 12. Now, this story is repeated in all four of the Gospels. And when you read each of the Gospels, it's it's slightly different. But a detective once said, he was a trained detective, he said, if I come to the scene and I have four witnesses and I speak to those four witnesses, if their stories are exactly the same, I know that they've gotten together and rehearsed. Because he said, never, when you have witnesses, is it going to be the same. What I mean by that, the gist of it is the same. But someone might, might see a red car. And the other one might say, I saw a tall man. Another one say, and that's why they like to have multiple. Because, you know, through each one, they, they, get, they gather the whole story. And you'll find that in these Gospels. They are different. Uh, only two of them mentioned the turning over of the money table. Um, and, you know, but the other two didn't. Well, we wonder why. Well, it didn't seem to really resonate with them as much as maybe something else did. But we want to go to John chapter 12. Amen. The gospel according to St. You know that the, the gospel of John was the last book written in the Bible. They say that John was probably 90 years old before he sat down and, and, and wrote the gospel and his epistles. He was probably as much as 90 years old. The last books really to be written. And, and we thank God for the four gospels because they do give us a full picture of the life of Jesus. It reads here, and let me get to John 12, 12. 12, 12. Is that on the next day, much people were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took branches of palm trees And by the way, we have palm trees, some out back, some here. Take some. Uh, And and, uh, I know my grandmother had one that she used to hang behind her clock for many, many years uh, as a reminder. So, So help yourself. Pass them out to friends. And they took branches and palm of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat thereon as it was was written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh sitting on a colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, Then remember they the things that were written of him, that they had done these things unto him. What what I want you to realize there is that until he was glorified, they did not know what they were doing. And I'll tell you why that is. It's because Jesus did not want the devil to know, or the devil never would have had him crucified. 
Because when Jesus was crucified, the devil jumped up and down. He's sealed in a tomb. We've won. We've won, says the devil. Only to find out three days later, he rose again. And I could only imagine that if you, uh, not that you ever would, but, but say you, you killed somebody and you buried him in the backyard and you're totally free of that person and you look in the window and he's looking at the window at you. Isn't that how horror shows go? And you can see Jesus rising on the third day and he said, devil, I got you. He said, I have paid the penalty of the sins of my people, and now I have overcome death, and so have my people overcome death. That's what Paul said. He said, where is the victory of the grave? Where is the sting of death? He said, they have been swallowed up in the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I had to tell that sermon before I went on. It said, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, this is verse 15. Behold, thy king cometh, sitting on a colt. These things understood not the disciples at the first. But when Jesus, when Jesus was glorified, that means he died on the cross and was risen again, they remembered Remember they the things that were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, they bore witness. For this cause, the people also met with him and that they heard that he uh, that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees thereof said among themselves, uh, perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. And the truth of it is, is there were two types of people there. But we'll get into that in just a little bit. But we have to understand, why did the people wave palm branches? They were considered symbols of peace and victory. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. The people went forth and brought palm branches. In Nehemiah 8 and 15, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him. In John 12, 13, I beheld and lo, a great multitude of all the nations and the people and tongues with with palms in their hands. Now, actually, that was Revelation 7 and 9. You'll find that in Revelation 7, that the angels that had the power to bring death upon the earth in the Revelation were told by God, cease and do not bring any hurt upon the earth at this point because I'm about to seal the 144,000 in their foreheads that will go before me. Amen. And that's where it said here, they took palms and they threw them before the king of kings. You see, everything in the Bible has significant meaning. And those meanings, you can't ever get to the end of the depths of them. But here we find that it was not by accident that these people took these palms and threw them before him. So we look at what day that it was. It was the seventh day before the Passover. If we understand the Passover, 
in, in Egypt that the Bible said that there were ten plagues. But the one plague that, was, that, that really caused Pharaoh to let the people go was the one where the, uh, the firstborn of every household would be killed. But what we realize is that everyone, he said, I want you to take hyssop, and I want you to take blood, the blood of a lamb. I want you to pour into the blood, and I want you to dip the hyssop in. Now, hyssop is a type of faith, if you want to get into typology. But they dip the hyssop in according to the word of God. How many know we need to have an ear to hear, and we need to be obedient to the word of God? And he took the hyssop, and they would place it upon both sides of the door and above the door. And the Bible said to stay in your house. Do not stick your head beyond that blood. And he said, and when the death angel comes through and kills all the firstborn of Egypt, all of the children of Israel who obey the Lord and stay in the house. How many know the Bible said, come up among them, be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. How many know that we need to stay behind the bloodline? The Bible said, we look at Job. The Bible said that, that when the devil talked to, to God, he said, but you put a hedge about it. You know what that hedge was? That was the blood cov- covenant. He said, but if you remove that hedge, I shall get to him. I want you to know something. We are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. We have that victory in the name of Jesus Christ. Why do you think it is so important for the devil to try to convince you to, to, to walk in sin? You know, the devil loves to use Scripture because he used it with Jesus. Now, I want you to know the Scripture they used is always out of context, and, and, and it's never complete. But the, the devil will come and he'll say, well, didn't the Bible say that if you sin, that you have an advocate who is a father who's just and able to forgive you of your sin? But see, what he doesn't tell you is the consequence of sin. The consequence of sin, what it does. And I'm going to tell you what, sin will hurt you more than the people around you. And the devil knows that he can take away your, your, your inner peace. He can take away the authority that God's put in your belly. He will rob you and leave you in a melancholy state. And there are many Christians today that are in a melancholy state. Because they don't feel adequate to get up and speak. They don't feel. And, and the reason is, is Satan has robbed them from within. He's taken from them all that God wants them to have. In Leviticus 23, 5 through 7, we see here. And let me get there. Thank you, Lord. I didn't write that one out. Deb, have you got Leviticus 23, 5 through 7? If you would read that for me, please. Uh, uh, 23, 5 through 7 in Leviticus. I really would appreciate that. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. She's getting there. 
5 through 7, Leviticus 23. Yeah, go ahead. What he more or less is saying there is that you need to continually practice the Passover until the Lord comes. It was that important to remember what the Lord had done. How many know we need to remember what the Lord had done? That's what our testimony is. The Bible said we overcome the, the devil by the blood of the lamb and by our testimony. And so when we begin to speak out of our bellies flow rivers of living waters, as my brother said, he had a chance to, to uh, Brian had a chance to, to, to share with somebody. You see, that's my testimony. Look what the Lord had done. And that's what he told them. When you go into your land that I will give you. See, God already knew it was done because he spoke it. And when they came into the land, he said, remember the Passover to keep it. And the thing that we need to understand, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Passover. They read and acted out the Passover until the coming of the Lord. Sunday was especially uh, predicted in the feast schedule. Sunday was called Yom Tu, and it means good day. This Sunday overshadows the ordinary Sundays because we are proclaiming Jesus as the Passover, as the fulfillment of that Passover. And we know what happened to the lamb. The Bible said the lamb was killed. It was poured into a basin. And then that lamb uh, was, was dipped with, with, uh, with the hyssop. You know, your faith dipped into the presence and the fulfillment of the Lord. You anoint your head. How many know that's your way you think? And your hands. And that's the way you act out or proclaim. We look at the chrono chronologically, the chronologic uh, of Psalms, Palm Sunday. Saturday night, the Feast of Bethany, six uh, Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. And there they made him a supper in John 12, 1 and 2. And Mary anointed his feet. Mary Magdalene had anointed his feet and asked a question of application to, What purpose is these, this waste, said Judas? 
But I want you to know that when Mary had anointed his feet with that beautiful smiknard, that beautiful perfume that was probably a year's wages, she broke open that alabaster box and poured it upon his feet. And I want you to know that that that, that fragrance was so, uh, the aroma was so great that when Jesus went to the cross and all had forsaken him and he was nailed to a cross, he could smell that sweet savor of that sacrifice. I want you to know something. When we sacrifice unto the Lord, God, it's a sweet savor to the Lord. It's a, it's a sweet smell to the Lord. Your life can be a sweet smell to the Lord. When we, when we take up our cross and follow him, Jesus said, I come to make the crooked path straight. What is that crooked path that led to Golgotha? And what we realize when we come to Jesus, we have to be willing. He said, if you love your mother, your father, your brother, your sister more than me. And one place is if you, if, if you don't hate them. And, of course, what that means is, is that if any, even sibling, any child, any wife, any husband, any mother, any father that would try to separate you from the faith you have in God, he said, choose me over that. I am determined. I've made up my mind. I will serve the Lord. Though none come with me, I will serve the Lord. God has separated you out. Now, does that mean that God doesn't love family? Of course he loves family. But he also tells you that we need to make a choice. The Bible said that Paul left everything. Most people believe that Paul was married. In the Jewish tradition, when somebody defected from the, from the Jewish faith, they would have a literal funeral for them. And they would bury them even though they may still be alive, as far as the parents were concerned, as far as the family was concerned, that person is dead. That's pretty radical, isn't it? But Paul had to be willing to leave all that he knew and all that he was familiar with. Even his Ph.D., he said, I count that as dung in comparison to knowing my Lord and my Savior. So she anointed him. Of course, we know that Judas was the son of perdition, that he was given for a purpose, and that was to betray the Lord. But we realize that 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 beautiful ointment was spilled upon his feet. (laughs) And what the Lord is saying to you, your sacrifices smell as sweet. The fact that you come out on Sunday morning, you know, that's a sacrifice. See, I've got to get up. I've got to go get in the shower. I've got to get, hopefully. And, and, and you know, we get ready and, 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 and we, we go out. And we go out. Um, and that's a sacrifice. You know, a lot of people, they're getting their boats all oiled up and, you know, and they're getting their, their, their things. And, and Sunday's become a day of recreation, a, a day of pleasure. But no, you're here today. Why? Because you say, here am I, Lord. I'm faithful and I love you. I present myself to you and my body a living sacrifice. Amen. To predict 
his death and burial. To worship, uh, worship, perfume was used in sacrifice. Greed appeared with worship. And this he, Judas, said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And so what do you say? That, that, that seems like a waste to me because his eyes were on the money. I want you to know something. You can never outgive God. And what I mean by that, I'm not going to take up an offering. But what I'm saying by that is when you give your life to Jesus, even though you look ahead and say, I don't understand how will I have the finances? How will the, you begin to think like, I want you to know something. God will bless you, pressed down, shaken together and overflowing. He will add to your bosom. And you're going to be able to look back and say, look what the Lord has done. David said, I was young and now I'm old. But he said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging bread. And I want you to know something. He's the same God today as he was there. Early Sunday morning, Jesus obeyed the scripture. He went before ascending up into Jerusalem in Luke 1928 he knew full well what would have happened to him we look at luke 1831 it says then he took him uh, the 12 and said unto them behold we go up to jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the son of man shall be accomplished for he shall be delivered unto the gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spit upon and they shall scourge him and put him to death and the third day he shall rise again he knew full well what was going to happen to him and, you know, that's what we say. You can have compassion, but if you don't have courage, it's not going to do much for this world. I am determined. I've made up my mind. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. My heart is, my, my, when, I, when I listen to some of the news, I, I start getting a pain in my belly. I don't know about you. But you know what? Then I have to give that to the Lord. And say, God, I'm not here for my own creature comforts. I'm not, not here uh, for, for, the, for the things that I desire, but I'm here for you, Lord God. And I want you to know something. This is not our home. The Bible said God sends us once we're saved as ambassadors into a strange land. Into a place uh, that, we, that we abide, but yet it is not ours. Because our day is yet coming. I want you to really see that. I think of the thief on the cross. And the Bible said there were two thieves. One was mocking him. The other, because the Holy Spirit gave him the ability, he looked through the keyhole of eternity. And he said to Jesus, he said, Jesus, remember me. When you get into that beautiful place I see, and Jesus looked at him. He said, this day shall you be with me in paradise. He didn't tell him, I'm going to take you off the cross and prevent you from dying. But he did say, I will be faithful to you. And this day, when I go into paradise, you're going to be with me. I believe he's going to go into paradise to preach to the captives to set them free. And he's going to have the thief with him. And look who I brought with me. 
because God gave him the glimpse of what's ahead. I think we need to get another glimpse of what's ahead. Because I'll tell you, sometimes we get weary in well-doing, don't we? We get frustrated with kids, or we get frustrated with this, and then we feel like our lives are a sacrifice, and what am I getting out of it? It seems like it's about everybody else, and it's not about me. And, and, and we can go there, and we can get into that situation, and then that's when we need to say, Lord, let me see again that heavenly place that I shall dwell forever and ever and ever. Amen? Let me see that place again, Lord God. And that's why the Bible said, don't be weary in well-doing. Don't you know that I've got you covered? Now, God is blessed with our sacrifice for children. God is blessed with our sacrifice in, in, in our relationship. God is blessed in our sacrifice in the church. God is blessed with all that. But he said, don't be weary. Oh, it's easy to get weary. All of a sudden, we're thinking, I want to get a one-way ticket on a bus. I'm not going to let anybody know where I'm going. I'm going to run away. <laughs> I know I'm the only one that ever thought something like that. Not you, dear people. But, but the fact of it is, is we realize, though, we're under the cross. He says, if any man come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross. What is your cross today? Maybe as a parent, it may be with the job that you carry to feed your children. It may be the things you suffer and face on this earth. It's heavy. But God said, be faithful. Be faithful. Because I promise you what's coming is greater than anything you could ever think or imagine. We see early the so the secured animals, Jesus went to, uh, sent two disciples. He said, will you, will you see, when you see a donkey tied there with the colt, he said, release them and bring them to me. It says in Zechariah, now this is Old Testament. You know, the, the possibility of one uh, one, one thing coming to pass is, is, is phenomenal, but there were many prophecies in Isaiah and other books about the Messiah and his coming. But, but let's look at Zechariah 9.9. 9. It said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, a king cometh unto thee. He is just and heaven salvation, lowly and riding upon a donkey and upon a colt, the fold of a donkey. This was prophesied by Zechariah. 500 years before Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. Why didn't the scribes, why didn't the religious people see that? Because their eyes were blinded because of their own agendas. People, they have their own agendas and they become blinded to what God is doing right before their very eyes. 
I look at human yieldedness. It said, and they let the donkeys go. They said, what are you doing with my donkey? What are you doing with my colt? Now, the one thing we could say, well, did God um, instruct them to go and steal without even asking? Is not stealing. Well, there's scripture for that. In Psalms 50 and 10, it said, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. God already owned them. He wasn't stealing anything. He was taking what was his. And the Bible said that they, they released them to go. The thing we need to understand about an animal is that they were very valuable. We think of a car today. And the value that has for us that is, that is um, uh, running properly and stickered and going down the road. It doesn't matter how old it is. It's my faithful transportation. And if somebody came and just took it, you would, what are you doing with my car? Oh, the, the king has, uh, the, the, Jesus has need of him. Oh, oh okay. I'm going to be walking from now on. <laughs> but anyway. So, you know, the, that was the Lord's intervention. But look at human preparation. The disciples threw their coats across the back of him to ride him, to, or to ride on him. It says in Matthew 21, five, uh, 7, it says, And brought the donkey and the colt and put on them the clothes that they sat thereon. It fulfilled prophecy. We see it says, Behold, the king cometh riding upon a colt, a fold, amen, and a donkey. And we ask, why a colt? And I think this is important. You know, sometimes we read and we don't even get to think about the colt. What, what was the significance of the colt? Let, let's look in Job. In Job 11 and 12, and 12, it said, For vain men would be wise, though men be born like a wild colt, I believe the colt represents untamed or unwild or wild humanity that God was going to subdue. You know, that was a miracle. And I'm going to give a little story. I wrote a little story here because I remember I was about 9 or 10 years old. And we used to go up to Rangeley to camp. And the owner of the camp had several camps. And they had a donkey. I don't know. And, and the donkey would roam at large, and sometimes he'd even climb up on the porch to get into the garbage pail, help himself. But this donkey would be around a lot, and one day my grandfather convinced me to jump off the porch and onto the donkey's back. My grandfather, a little sometimes, you know, <laughs> i tell you about the chicken one, but I won't. But anyway, so I climbed up on the porch, and when that donkey got just under me, I lit off the porch and landed on the donkey, and let me tell you, that was a ride that lasted two or three seconds. And that donkey kicked me off and threw me midair, and down on the ground I went. <laughs> you see, the donkey had never been broken. He, was, he had never been ridden. When Jesus was able to get on a wild colt, a colt that had never been written, ridden, it shows you that the presence of God tamed that donkey immediately. How many know that God can tame you immediately? 
How many know he can tame the wildest of human beings immediately? When they get into the presence of God and their hearts begin to melt, and they put their hand toward him and say, Lord, here am I. And that's what Jesus' triumphant entry resembled. But we see that Jesus subdued whereon man had never sat. And we need to realize that that in itself was miraculous. It was an entrance that was fit for a king. Many in the crowd spread out their coats along the road before him, while others threw down palm branches. Unexpected. Who is this? This is Jesus. Prediction of two groups of people. We see in the rapture, first they that followed. And we also see in Mark eleven eight, it said Jesus will bring him with him in first Thessalonians four fourteen, second, and, and you can look that up. The people also met him. We see John twelve and eighteen, where it says, We which are alive and remain remain, or should have said that was first Thessalonians four seventeen. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him. I want to look at the rejection by the Jewish leaders. And we're going to close here. The Bible said they tried to silence the worship. He said, rebuke thy disciples in Luke 19 and 39. But what did Jesus say? He said, if these had not cried out, even the rocks would have cried out. Hosanna, King. In other words, Jesus said, if you don't know who I am. You know, when he, when he ascended into Jerusalem, he immediately looked over the festivities. Because I'll tell you, the, the, when they kept the Passover, there, there was festivities and all kinds of, of events that were going on. And Jesus looked over them and the Bible said he wept. And he said, oh, only if they knew who was among them. Don't we say that in the world today? Only if the world knew. I remember some years ago when, when um, Donner passed away from an automobile accident. I had the, the honor of speaking at that funeral to have probably close to 200 uh, our, our soldiers there from the National Guard all dressed in their National Guard uniforms. And God gave uh, come over me, and I presented Jesus, the friend, the one that loves them, the one that died for them. When I was done with that, it moved the hearts of these men so much that they literally were measuring my neck to see if I could become their chaplain, whether I was too fat or not. <laughs> but they said, we want you, Pastor, to become the chaplain over our unit because we want what you have said. I mean, I'm talking about several men. They were measuring my chest and, and asking me how old I was and, 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 and all that. Because they wanted to try to get me in. Why? Because they were moved by the love of Jesus. 
Oh, God, if only the eyes of those on our street here would be open to see that he is a loving God that has come to rescue them from the perilousness or the perils of their life. You see, that's what Jesus has come to do. But what we find here is the Pharisees and rebuke the disciples. We, we're finding, I'm going to tell you, the Bible said that only he can separate the wheat from the chaff. I'm beginning to see that. Look at the church in England. Church in England has rose up and said that we're going to accept uh, 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 that which has never been accepted. And the people are waking up and saying, wait a minute, even clergy. And they're realizing that they need to step away from that. See, God is separating the wheat from the chaff. Only he can do that. He said, because if we do it, we'll pull up the wheat with the shaft. God is moving by his spirit in this country. God is exposing that which is wicked. He said, the judgment of God begins at the house of God. And we need to understand that it's all because God is separating us to be like him. But I want to talk about the people, and I'm, I'm done here. The people were downtrodden. They were hurting. They didn't have a voice. And that was the majority. The majority of the people were either browbeaten by Rome and, and, and it was extracted their wealth out of them. Or the religious group that was so carnal. Do you know that, that what they said just before Jesus went to Jerusalem? They said, well, they say that he, that he raised um, Lazarus from the dead. They said, let us go kill Lazarus. That's evil. You understand that? And, and this, is the, this is the mindset of the religious realm of that day. Why? They didn't want to share their positions with anybody, even though Christ was the Christ to sit in the seat. I'm going to tell you, if Jesus wants to walk in here today, he can have all those seats. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's no seat reserved that Jesus cannot sit in. It would be an honor, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you let him sit next to you? No seat reserved. Lord, please come and sit with me. But what we realize in this is that the common people, which we may consider ourselves to be, it seems like we have no voice. It seems like we're being taken advantage of. It seems like they're hiring Thousands of more IRS agents to keep an eye on us. It seems like oppression. We look to the religious leaders and many of them are more concerned with their positions and arguing their doctrine than they are with saying, Lord, please come and be the shepherd over the sheep and help them in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me, please? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The first thing Jesus did while you're standing, when he got to Jerusalem, as he went into the temple, and the Bible said he saw there where they had sick animals they were selling because they were, they were corrupt. You know, a lot of preachers today say, give me $1,000 and, and I'm going I'm to bless you with 10000 Same stuff. They were selling sick animals. 
they 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 were and, and God and Jesus was so angry with that and also also the exchange rate was corrupt because you couldn't buy these animals with your own money you had to exchange it for their money and when they would do that cheat you I mean it was all corrupt and Jesus went in and he threw those tables over he said you have made my father's house a den of thieves he said but I've called it a house of prayer in a house of worship. And that's what God is saying to us today. Will we worship him? Will we love him? Will we stand with him? Because he is coming soon, I believe. I believe. If our eyes are open and we see what's going on in the world, we know that God predicted these things many, many hundreds and two, over 2,000 years ago. And here we are today. It's a privilege to walk in that day. But also, it's important that we say, Lord, here am I. Here am I. I'm going to sing, Hosanna to the King. Hallelujah. Hosanna to the King of Kings. And we're going to see that in Revelations uh, chapter 7 as well. It's Hosanna to the King forever and ever. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Thank you, Lord. Father, we love you. We praise you. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for that triumphant entry into Jerusalem. We thank you, Lord, that you've gone to calm the hearts of men, that they become your disciples. We thank you, Lord, and we love you, Father. And, Lord, we know that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, but, Lord, you're with us even unto the end. Lord God, that you're here today in our very presence. And we ask you to continue to do the work in our lives, Lord, that we would separate ourselves unto you and that we would stand holy before you, Lord God. And we will allow your spirit that you've sent into the world to fill us, that out of our bellies will flow rivers of living water. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you do. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, and God bless. You want to come and...